That was good, dude. That last song, that last song was good. Like that, I'm sorry, I actually got a little emotional. That was excellent. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was good. You're listening to the Fade to Bay Network. <laughs> Testing one, two, three. I'm scarred and you're scarred. My scars and your scars. Paint a beautiful picture that tells the story of the journey of your life, like the writing on a postcard. And if you're scarred inside, trying to come to terms with the past and moving on from a broken heart, I'll be right there with you. I want you to know. Listen to my words and you'll never be alone, I'll be right there I used to hate all of the scars upon my arms and my face Used to wish for pure perfection with no mark and no trace Of any blemish in my image cause it's hard to relate To other people acting shallow, cruel and heartless and fake My insecurities got stronger and I started to chase After relief and found a feeling that was hard to replace It left me permanently marked and way so hard to erase That now remind me how I hurt myself and tried to escape It's hard for me to keep it real but I'ma keep it 100 There's a reason why I wear the long sleeves in the summer There's a reason why I edit all my posts and my pictures And change the way I look with filters with control and precision But now I'm walking out the shadows with an honest admission My complexion isn't perfect in its honest condition And I got marks up on my body that were caused from addiction Cause ain't nobody perfect, we all got our flaws and we're different And there's some people who ain't really got no scars in their skin But they'll relate to this cause everyone is scarred from within And some obsess about their weight until they're awfully thin Preoccupied with what some other people possibly think And some are scarred from hella trauma they didn't deserve And so they take out all their hatred and resentment with words Or acting different cause they're so afraid to get themselves hurt That every possible attempt at real affection is curved I'd rather live an ugly truth than live a beautiful lie Because the truth is that my scars are really stupid to hide Cause if somebody doesn't see the inner beauty inside It's cause they're caught up in illusion so the truth gets denied I used to be so damn obsessed with what to do with my scars But truth be told my imperfection is my most beautiful part And I'm just proud that there's a part of me that sets me apart Reminding me how far I've managed to progress from the start I'm scarred and you're scarred My scars and your scars Paint a beautiful picture that tells the story of the journey of your life Like the writing on a postcard And if you're scarred inside Trying to come to terms with the past and moving on from a broken heart I'll be right there with you, I want you to know Listen to my words and you'll never be alone, I'll be right there In this world, people tell us what to do People tell us what to think People tell us what to sound like We even use vocal effects We work so hard just to cover up our scars I think it's time to show the real me So here I am No effects, no filters Just me Scars and all It's beautiful man, thank you I'm scarred and you're scarred My scars and your scars Paint a beautiful picture that tells the story of the journey of your life Like the writing on a man. postcard And if you're scarred Ooh. inside trying to come Some powerful words, man You got some bars, you got some talent And I'm really glad that, that you're here, man Appreciate Blessed you Blessed to be here Alright, so what you just heard, ladies and gentlemen If you're just now joining us live Is Benjamin Lerner Benjamin Lerner is the great grandson of Irvin Berlin. If you know who Irvin Berlin is, he composed such iconic tunes as God Bless America and White Christmas, which we all have heard, God Bless America and White Christmas, and what it has meant to this nation, and um, which is interesting during a political season. Anyway, uh, um, he is a Vermont-based composer, writer, and recovery addict. Advocate um, Benjamin started his musical career as a, pian- a classical piano prodigy. Um, by his early twenties, he was an IV heroin and crack addict. Um, um, sorry, um, by his early twenties, he was an IV heroin and crack cocaine addict. Now sober since June of 13, 2016, he journals his journey in addiction and sobriety in all of his new uh, piano raps which combined classical piano and rap um hip-hop rap 
Yeah. Um, Benjamin Kratos's uh, continues. Uh, Benjamin Kratos's continued success and recovery to his ability to express his emotions relating to his struggle uh, through the word and song, which I agree. And we're going to get into in his newest debut album, Clean. Uh, was released in February of this year, and it was produced by Old Mill Recording um, out of Vermont. And so, Benjamin, welcome, welcome. Um, very glad you're here. How you doing? I'm doing great today. And yeah, Old Mill Road Recording in Vermont is where I recorded it, and I'm sitting in the uh, ISO booth right now looking out the window at a lovely waterfall, and it's, it's great to be here, man. It's creative inspiration for the soul, for sure. For sure, man. I think, uh, is that the same place that you recorded, uh, was it liquid fentanyl with the snow in the background? Yeah, we did that. We did that in, uh, in February of this year. And it's really cool seeing out the windows, uh, how the seasons change because Vermont's a seasonal state. You really get those extremes and that really worked out well for liquid fentanyl, that kind of black and white video with the ice flows going in the river and that nice contrast it, it was cool it's cool to see the way the seasons can help impact creativity and you know creative products like videos right on yeah, definitely i mean i, I think uh, there's a lot of creative uh aspects and not only your music but in some of your videos and we'll get into that all in, all in a minute um let's talk a little bit about scars um scars really kind of hits hard and i think it's something that like everybody can relate to I mean, it's talking about just um that whole being honest with yourself coming to terms with maybe past decisions you know not everybody may be in recovery from from heroin or from crack cocaine um but i think everyone can relate to that song it was beautiful just about um you know we're kind of all in this together um tell me if i'm getting i mean this is what it means to me i'm I'm giving you my reactions to, to your music right now and then you tell me um the headspace and what you and why you wrote it afterwards um and because and, i i think it's beautiful that when i listen to that i'm like yeah i'm flawed you're flawed i'm scarred you're scarred it's scars can be beautiful you know it's not something we have to hide from it kind of makes us who we are um so why you know why why run from who you are and if you continue to run from who you are you never get to like fully experience like life i don't know that's what i get out of your music you you tell me the headspace you're at in that and and how far off i am i think you're pretty spot on um i wrote that song I wrote the rap from it, the original version, years ago. Um, not the chorus, not the music for it. But I wrote um, I wrote the rap and the poem for it when I was about three months, three and a half months sober. And um, it's funny you say you're from Pennsylvania, because I actually went to treatment in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And the proof of why I went to Lancaster, I was in Pennsylvania, is that I say Lancaster and not Lancaster, which a lot of people up there uh, get a little, you know. You say it better than I do, you know, but you were deep in the heart of Amish territory. Yeah, exactly. Out there, so. Amish territory for sure. And it was cool because, uh, you know, I came back to D.C. where I'm originally from, although I do have long established roots in Vermont. My dad built a house up here. So that's what kind of, you know, serendipitously allowed me to reconnect uh, with my roots up here and connect with Dr. Joshua Sherman of Old Mill Road. But that's a little down the line. But um, I wrote this song when I had just gotten a busboy job at this kind of, you know, posh suburban bistro restaurant. And, you know, I felt really out of place because I, w- I, hadn't, I hadn't had a sober day for years. I had been either on, you know, maintenance medications like Suboxone or using heroin. So my hormones had been completely suppressed. And there's this thing called um, opioid-induced endocrinopathy. And not to get too complicated, mm, but that's basically... A, that's a big yeah, word. Yeah, that's big. So I'm going I'm to I'm simplify it. And I'm going to say that basically my um, the late stages of my adolescence, because I used opioids from you know the age of 20 to the age of 24 very heavily, were kind of subdued and suppressed. So I had a kind of second adolescence, like awkward, geeky, hormonal stage. I gained a lot of weight. Um, I My face filled out. I got these uh, horrible blemishes on my face. And I still had scars all over my arms from the IV heroin use that hadn't fully healed. And I was outside working on this hot, muggy DC day. DC's like a swamp. And um, my shirt was all the way buttoned up. My skin was a mess. I was so self-conscious. 
Uh, I was, you know, living at home with my mom because my sober house didn't allow me to work a job that late. So I didn't even have my own place. I didn't have any privacy. And I just felt like hiding myself. I hated the way I looked. And I didn't want people to see my scars. So I was sweating. And I was dropping these plates because my hands were so sweaty. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I can't take this anymore. And on my forearms were all these scars from heroin use. But I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to roll my sleeves up. I don't care what happens. So I went back inside. And, um, you know, within five minutes, because they were glaringly obvious scars, like um, all red and stuff. And these servers congregated around this place where you get bread inside. Um, So I was getting a loaf of bread with my outstretched exposed forearm. And they say, hey, wow, like, what's the deal with those scars? And I froze for a second because I had all these scars on my face from like cystic acne that I was so ashamed of. And I had all these scars on my arms from, you know, the IV heroin use that I was still getting over and uh, still was like a big part of my psyche and had been a big part of my life for so long. And I kind of had this moment where I froze and I felt like not only am I never going to be able to erase the scars on my arms and my face, but I'm never going to be able to run from it. I'm never going to be able to overcome it. And I'm never going to be most importantly able to get over the emotional and mental scars that underlie those scars. Um, And I just had this kind of come to God moment where I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter if I have scars on my face. It doesn't matter if I have scars on my arms because the only way that I'm ever going to heal both those scars and more importantly the emotional scars underneath them is by confronting them being honest and more than that being proud of the fact that even with all of the scarring and traumatic stuff that I've been through in the past I'm looking forward to the future so I looked right them right in the eye and it was really hard and I felt so scared it was like electricity up and down my spine but I said these are scars from my addiction I'm not gonna lie I'm a recovering addict. And I'd only told my boss, none of the workers, I was like, but I'm working hard every day to make sure I don't go back to the needle. And I really got to go drop this bread off on your table. I wish I could talk longer. And I expected them to judge me. And I kind of walked away with tears in my eyes like, oh my God, these people hate me. They probably see me as lower than scum. But the waitress, she turned to me and she's like, good for you, kid. Keep it up. I got a cousin who's in addiction. He didn't make it. We're going to do everything we can to help you. And I literally was like so close to crying I had to take a moment and like pause and like rest my head like on this wall when I was walking out because it was that point that I noticed that like wow you know it's not just me like like you say like not everyone's been through crack and heroin addiction not everyone's been through the same traumas but everyone can understand what it's like to want to hide their flaws and want to hide those parts of themselves so I wrote the song and it was just an incredibly healing experience when I came up here because You know, I'd written a lot of songs in the past, but Dr. Joshua Sherman, being a physician as well as a producer, was able to connect with me and really shape this song using his uh, background as a Broadway uh, producer uh, to kind of really bring the song out of it. Because I'm a rapper, I'm Mm -hmm. not a natural singer. But and it was and that was also kind of part of like, you know, shedding my fears about my flaws, you know, at the end of the song, it's like, well, we use all of these things to cover up our scars, not just like makeup, not just, you know, lighting or whatever. Even with music, a lot of people use um, tools to hide their voice. And I was so self-conscious about my voice. And it's like wavers and crackles the same way I was self-conscious about my scars. But that was kind of a healing moment in itself. So literally with the song, I was able to manifest that same healing change that I was when I wrote it so that was a really cool full circle moment that I was able to achieve with the song wow dude that is that is a powerful story behind that song and no wonder that song just hits so hard because so much of your your heart and you do that I've noticed in a lot of a lot of your music Seth has joined us welcome Seth hey Seth hey hey Benjamin nice to meet you Good to meet you. So I know you missed the first the first track, but you should go back and listen to it sometime, Seth. If you didn't get to hear it, uh, Scars, he was just talking about the journey in writing that, and I'm wondering. So that moment was so impactful in your in your life. It seems like um, as uh, being a server and that the conversation you had with the waitress. Um, what year did that happen in? You might have mentioned it, but. I- that was like almost exactly four years ago now. It was late September or early October because I started that mid-September. So it might have been early October, late September of 2016. I was like three, three and a half months clean. And I was really, I was still on Vivitrol, which is this suspended release injection that you can get to keep you from using opiates. And like I was detoxing. I was I was completely fresh off the boat. And like I, I just, I wasn't ready, but it came. Do you feel that that acceptance 
that you received when you shared that to the servers that that kind of pro- which I, now you're sharing that you were already three months sober well i'm sorry i don't know the terminology you were three sober months. clean i was sober and clean but they are separate but it's all good they are they are separate i just the clean i'm gay yeah. so whenever i i the clean just scares me because i'm not allowed to say that in the gay community um <laughs> but i just wanted to share that uh yeah do you feel like that propelled you forward like in hearing that acceptance that that was in in a way kind of a a pinnacle for you and maybe you've already talked about this again i'm just coming in but like do you feel like that was the the pinnacle that kind of the pushing point well sometimes i reflect on that and i think what would have happened if you know they had said ew or some kind of like you know i'd been met with repulsion or but it really it really wasn't about their reaction i mean it really it really that was over the top yeah you know it made me it it allowed me to feel comfortable being more vulnerable but there were a couple moments in my addiction one actually before that where i had these moments where it wasn't about what was coming after it wasn't that i was looking for acceptance even it was that even if i didn't get that acceptance just allowing myself to make myself vulnerable regardless of the outcome and kind of just that moment of faith that leap of faith that like maybe i am gonna get hurt but even if I do get hurt by allowing myself to be vulnerable, the very fact that I'm making myself vulnerable and have the strength, because one of the truths of recovery is there is strength that comes out of not weakness, but vulnerability and openness and acceptance. And even before that, there was a moment when I was in treatment where, full disclosure, not a smart idea. But, you know, I uh, I fell in love with someone and we did connect and, you know, we hooked up in rehab and, you know, they know you say like, wait a year. I waited about six days uh, before I formed a romantic connection and people spread rumors about me that made her not want to talk to me. And so we're, I'm in this Dawson's Creek debacle drama. <laughs> I'm like two weeks clean. This girl's about to leave, but she doesn't want to talk with me. And like, you know, I'm, I'm exiled from the cool kids gazebo and rehab where we all used to smoke cigarettes before I quit smoking. And, and I packed my bags and I did what a good addict does. And I'm like, I want to leave before I get any more emotionally hurt and all this. But there was a moment and this was the first moment, even before the moment I talk about in scars, when I had my bags packed, I manipulated my family into sending me all this money to pay for what I, I told them was like a cab to another treatment center. They had Western Union it to me. Really, I was just going to go to the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia and buy some bags of heroin and try to overdose and kill myself because I knew I couldn't keep using. I knew I couldn't get sober and I was just so miserable and depressed and I just wanted to hide any way possible. But I was in this, this room because they don't let you see other addicts because they don't want like a cascade of addicts leaving the treatment center. So I'm by myself. There's this half-lidded eyed skeptical looking treatment center <laughs> official and i'm just like yeah i'm gonna go and they're just like uh-huh <laughs> and i look behind them and it's not even a mirror it's like it's like a piece of glass that's like reflective kind of and i see my reflection and i see like two distinct visions for my future one if i keep using and one if i don't and the point is it was then that i realized that whether or not i resolve this petty rehab romance drama like whether i and ultimately regardless of the situation whether i had to confront my emotions whether it was a positive or a negative outcome I had to stay and see it through. And that's been the primary thing is that regardless of the outcome, like with, with the Scars song, like what if they had not met me with acceptance, regardless of what happened, if it hadn't been a good outcome there, the only thing that got me through it is that I was ready for whatever outcome came and I was ready to take that risk, ready to face the truth and ready to move forward. Because when I take those risks, it's not always a positive outcome. But the fact that I allow myself to take those risks in recovery is what allows me to stay clean and sober today. It's, I mean, in hearing that story of vulnerability, it's so powerful because I think so often with these types of issues, we don't want to be vulnerable, right? There's a lot of fear in, in taking that step. So I'm really happy to hear that by being vulnerable, it, it, it changed the game. And I think that there's a lot of power in that. And I think a lot of our listeners would be amiss if I don't, didn't ask this question too, because in the introduction, I mentioned how your great-grandfather wrote God Bless America and um the christmas one i'm sorry was it white christmas white christmas. Yes, white christmas yes so um there's clearly a faith line in your family um do you, do you think so when you were you fell into your addiction the heroin the, the opioid addiction and you're in this recovery process how much of you being raised in faith or having faith 
um, helped you, you know, solidify staying clean. I can say clean because I'm not gay. <laughs> and I can I just provide clarity on that? I'm just nervous. Like we don't say STD. Like if I'm asking someone if they have STDs, I can't say like, "Are you clean?" I'm just because it has with a you. negative connotation. So when I heard "clean," there I just. It just I automatically was like, oh, can I say that? You're, so my apologies. You're good. No. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that. I'm just going to touch on that briefly is because, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, discrepancies from provider to provider and from patient to patient in the treatment community about whether clean is an okay word to use. And so I, yeah, there is. And um, I stay clean and sober, but I, I try to be respectful of people who, um, and understand that it's a journey. It's, it's not, it's not about, you know, like having a perfect recovery because before this time around, I had so many relapses. I had so many years on medication assisted treatment. And I just want to make it clear that to any addict who is still struggling to make it off medication assistant treatment, uh, or just, you know, find their way, um, that it's not about, you know, having a perfect 100% clean thing from the beginning, although that'd be great. It's about finding yourself and finding your journey. So that's just an important thing. And that does relate to, uh, you know, the faith aspect um, and the white Christmas thing, because, you know, my family members, a lot of them were religious. Um, There was certainly, I come from a diverse background, half Jewish, uh, half Christian, and even within the Christian, there's Catholic and Episcopal. Um, but it was, it was more ceremonial growing up than anything else. But the real faith aspect that got me through was the faith that partially because of her religion and partially because of, you know, her involvement in the anonymous sobriety fellowship that I'm also part of because my mother is also in recovery. Um, her faith, um, in me, uh, and my family's unwillingness, whether it came from a religious or a spiritual place. But I really think that just having a higher power, regardless of what, you know, a shamanic or Abrahamic tradition you ascribe it to means that in times of stress and in times of, you know, uncertainty, you're willing to place your faith in a higher entity bigger than yourself. And there's a song on the album that actually talks about that, which is I Surrender. Um, and it's the moment where my mother, uh, who is four years uh, clean and sober herself, about out of five years, uh, went to a meeting after, you know, discovering a big stash of paraphernalia and reading through my phone about all these heroin and crack messages, just went to a meeting in her fellowship and she literally gave up. Um, and that surrender is what allowed her to be. She gave up, but she didn't give up on me. She gave up on her ability to change me and it not coming from me, but she didn't give up on the fact that the same higher power that she found could have a positive impact on my life. And, you know, I try, I think I, I want to say that I lost my faith in my higher power along the way, but I really didn't. And it's funny, it ties into, um, white Christmas because, I tell people like Christmas is such an emotional time of year, just the holidays in general, because of the songs that play on the radio. And those songs take on a very different meaning when you're a addict who is self-distancing from his family. And in the (laughs) time of this current crisis, you know, there's a big parallel of a lot of addicts and alcoholics in recovery and people in trauma who don't get access to their support groups, even outside of addiction, uh, feeling feeling pretty separated. Um, so that's a common theme for a lot of people, even not addicts today with coronavirus. And, um, I had these feelings. I used to listen to a white Christmas, um, when I was down using in my basement with the rest of my family upstairs, you know, caroling and, you know, kind of convivial celebration. And I felt so disconnected, but at the same time, hearing that song allowed me to think that there was, you know, a greener side of the grass out there for me and that those memories were still possible. So it was kind of this poignant dichotomy Mm. of on the one hand, there's this really deep haunting hopelessness, but on the other side, there's potential uh, for spiritual reclamation and recovery. So that song is a two-edged sword for me, but, you know, even though we're dreaming of the white Christmases that we used to know, just like I was dreaming of my childhood Christmases before, you know, I stuck a needle in my arm and did the things that I destroyed myself with. There was still that hope and there was still that possibility for a new future. So even in my darkest days, yeah, the the musical tradition and the tradition of faith and just belief in a higher power really did carry me through some of my darkest times. So I like to think that faith had a big positive impact on my journey of recovery. Just know that that song will ever have a, 
different meaning to me whenever it comes on and I'm always going to be thinking about you and, and this opportunity to meet you and your story and, and, you know, maybe see where your career is going to go and the Grammys you're going to win in the future and stuff. So, um, here's open, here's open. I mean, I, I, you know, hard work, you know, and talent and get you, you know, and you keep it up. You're doing a good job. Um, thank you. And it seems like you have a pretty good team behind you. Um, and that's, hella important and I'm learning that just in podcasting and you know and stuff like that too so um I'm ready to to move on to the song that and the video that got you know me interested you in the first place um I'm not sure who did the animation to that video um but I was thoroughly impressed we're talking Dan and Dave which um, you say in in the story, it's it's a six minute long video. It's kind of long for songs, but it, it's it's a really good story and goes through. And the end of it's important, so I think it's worth playing from start to finish for everybody. Um, um, Facebook, this is Benjamin Lerner. Please don't silence the next six minutes of this song. They are they're being very strict right now, as uh, far as like you know playing people's stuff. I've recognized. Um, anything else, Seth? About uh, Benjamin's story um, that you want to get into as I'm getting this set up? Just, I mean, as you, I'll let you kind of get that set up, but I just want to echo a lot of what's been shared. Um, I, it's so interesting how God and the support system can make a key role. I mean, we know that one support system is one of the biggest protective factors. Um, when even we look at mental health or addiction or substance abuse issues, um, we know this. Um, and to kind of hear that story of you in the basement, right? Everyone's upstairs, everyone's caroling, everyone's hanging out, but, but you were down in the basement using um, and kind of kind of been seeing the trajectory as you've as you've seen so, uh, being clean, as you've been able to put these things behind you, to be able to look at that um, and then kind of see the change. I think that's that's pretty powerful. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a process, but it's a beautiful one. And I specifically loved how you mentioned that this is a journey, right? That that this is not about being perfect or getting this right. Um, this is about finding out what works for you and really that journey because everyone has a different story. Absolutely. Shades of gray. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got it, man. You got it. Um, there it is. So- so here we go, and uh, there on Facebook World, if you're just joining us again, uh, this is B- Benjamin Lerner. Check him out on Facebook, on BenjaminLerner.com. Um, he has a new album out that's been re- released February this year called Clean, uh, um, and he's just a lot of fun. So we're going to check out this video. This is this is an older video too, correct? This, is, this isn't from your new album, this Dan and Dave. Oh, was- oh, yeah, Dan and Dave is on the new album, but the video did come out uh, last year. It came out in September 2019. It was the first single from the project. Sweet. All right. Tell you a story about Dan and Dave. Couple kids who knew each other and the similar paths they take. Only minor distinct differences separate two people who from outside would seem the same in every way. Dan was a rebel, raised in an environment where people had so much money ain't worried about retirement. Palatial mansions, cars outside were fancy. His family adopted him, he was really the plan B. He grew up in the suburb with some other kids. I never knew till he was older what his real father and mother did. He played soccer, and his skills were way proper. But had a chip on his shoulder, started to blaze ganja. Didn't need the money, but he started selling it Cause drugs would give you power and respect it, so we relished it Charismatic, magnetism, despair, he had it But always had a grim aura as if aware A tragic circumstance awaited him Real cautious and pessimistic He always moved as if knowing he had his chance and missed it And that's what Dave enters the picture Skinny and insecure, an introvert who's thrown into the mixture His clothes were funny, the older kids laughed at him Wanted acceptance and started blowing cash rapid Stealing money from his family Acting out, using drugs and drinking It started out with grams of weed And at the parties where him and Dan would be Dan saw Dave and realized he could hustle him handily He made it come off like a friendship And Dave was gullible Soon he found himself faded and gone entrenched in A way of life he didn't really understand But he wanted approval from the older kids being a younger man So got some ounces as a front from Dan But didn't hustle with 
the same tenacity and then fucked up the bands Then would brag about ripping them off with all his friends They would all laugh, snicker and scoff like You really fronted Dave another zip of that bomb? Then he took two weeks to flip it, must have did something wrong And they were right, they would take that shit and blaze every night Cause the demons in his head were way too crazy to fight And Dan graduated, moved away, leaving Dave a marijuana addict Trapped inside a sad traumatic loopy haze But in his absence Dave improved his game And started hustling and stopped going to classes thinking school was lame Somehow graduated to and stayed With just the weed and liquor for a sec But then moved on to blues and yay And then in college it got crazier still Wasn't long till Dave was hooked on to cocaine and the pills Dan started selling perks so Dave copped him from Dan Who moved back home supplying Dave with his Delatas and Zans Oxycontin caused Dave problems but Dan didn't mind Cause while Dave was getting worse Dan was managing fine But when Dave left for rehab wasn't his time Wasn't ready to give up what he discovered his mind Needed to quiet down He wasn't sober too long Accepted up to heroin then a hopelessly strong craving came on That's when Dan came back in his life As a private school junkie slanging smack in the white And Dave would steal his mom's car and money out of a purse To go to Dan's house, buy some dope and powder and perks Used to sneak it through the window on those dark cold nights In a suburban mansion basement in some dark low light They used text message codes case cops found the phones When Dan went to rehab, Dave was alone And then when Dan got sober for a minute for real Dave was dope sick, struggled for a fix in the pill Started going up to Baltimore, up on his own, copper scrambled from the block, far away from his home. But then one day a rolled up dollar just ain't do the trick. And one of Dave's homies told him it was better to stick a needle up inside his arm. Dave thought, what's the harm? When he pushed the plunger down, fell in love with the charm. Instantly he started spiraling down with so much faster. But Dan had moved away and became aware of his past. And for the first time in his life, he met his real family. Left his adopted parents who considered him the plan B, whom he had disappointed with his drugs and his ways. He was down with his new family for a number of days. David moved on from Dan as the source for his dope Started smoking crack, losing weight, lost all control His family gave up, he was crazy as fuck Dan was on and off the needle, landscaping with trucks Trying to earn an honest buck, but that shit didn't last Couldn't keep himself from hustling and forget about the past So when Dave finally did his second stint in rehab Dan came back to town again and started getting some cash Found a girl who had connections, just some real raw shit Supplying those who needed coke and dope, they speedball fix He would always try to flip it fast and re-up quick But the clientele wasn't steady, Dan would need more chips At this time, Dave had been sober for over a year Had a steady job, faced his inner soul and his fears Dan was broke than a joke, heard that David some cash and tried to tempt him with some heroin he had in his stash. And Dave said, Can't buy dope, I ain't gonna lie. Living different now, homie, been clean for a while. I hope life is treating you better than it did in the past. But if you're trying to sell me smack, I can't give you no cash. But Dan was desperate. He needed money, had to stack it And so he told Dave to sell him a North Face jacket And Dave said forget it, this shit is just pathetic But Dan talked him into it and he knew that he'd regret it But he got in Dan's car, Dan drove him around Reminisced about the days when they were smoking it down When he used to cop boxy 30s and coke in the brown Through basement windows in his house, but Dave was over it now Dave bought the jacket out of pity for this miserable man Who used to seem so charismatic with the zips in his hand Who now was broken down on his luck, who didn't command That magnetism that he once did, who did all his plans, Dave didn't know it, but he would never see him again, cause Dan would end up being sentenced in the federal pen, a while later Dave's homie hit him up on a text, and told him there had been a crazy and momentous event, Dan had been arrested for spiking his dope with some fent, and selling it to kids who overdosed and knowing he ain't meant to kill the kids, Dave was overwhelmed and couldn't believe, the kid in high school who sold him all his coke and his weed, then sold him dope, sold him oxys in his lonely disease, was doing hard time resulting from his hopeless ass greed, I tell you this story now for just one reason alone. In an alternate universe, it would be me who'd be gone from shooting fentanyl laced dope. Casualty of the game, every single day is precious. Don't take it in vain. If you ain't figure it out, my friend is Dan and I'm Dave. Story true as it can be, only the names have been changed. I don't do this to embarrass or disgracefully shame. Form a friend of mine to point out the mistakes that he made. I do this shit so other addicts who are escaping their pain don't end up rotting in a cell or being name on a grave. so much there um so much there Whoo, dan and dave uh so first thing i want to say i mean your storytelling ability like in just rap form like there i don't i mean there's there's people who do that very well and they're famous i'm not going to make 
some comparisons. Actually, I mean, like, I mean, why not? Why not? Like, I, I like that the st- the way you rap and tell a story reminds me of M. You know, like yeah, he like shady, like he's one of the best there is in the game. But he's more of a storyteller. You know, he's he, like whenever he's rapping, he's always telling a story. And so that's where I get that. And then like with your piano playing abilities and you know getting into the singing stuff i'm like well and and the long hair like there's a kid rock vibe going on there too so (laughs) (laughs) so um but no man um very powerful um uh apologize to normally we don't play songs to their entirety but like just your storytelling form and how hard you wrap that up towards just like especially with like the epidemic there is now um i i'm damn near 40 years old um, and the last five, six years, I, I've known people, you know, to overdose from fentanyl, heroin, like on a very regular basis, people that are older, people that are younger, there's no like age discrepancy. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a legit epidemic. And, um, I, for what you're trying to do with your music and whether it's clear in the story what you're like you know what you're what you're wanting to make a change make an awareness make a um hope for america because it seems like for whatever reason um people are more concerned i don't even go there because people are more concerned about things that probably aren't going to kill you than they are about an actual epidemic that's been happening for years that we could do something about fairly easily if we wanted to it's yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm uh, sorry, I was ranting. Um, no, you're, I'm good. I'm done. No, 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 no. Are you, are you, if you got more to say, then I, because I just, yeah, I mean, I tell people, you know, we're in the midst of you know an epidemic that's claimed thousands of lives this year and knows no boundary, you know, age, gender, identification, you know, social class. And I tell them, I'm not talking about the coronavirus pandemic. I'm talking about the opioid epidemic. And what's funny is they're kind of inextricably linked now. As I mentioned before, you know, the isolation and the uncertainty and the job loss has kind of made it so that so many addicts and alcoholics are relapsing now. And, you know, it was interesting. There have been so many, um, you know, negative and positive developments in both crises, but we were starting to see a turn uh, with Narcan distribution and with a lot of... um, a lot of positive things, uh, such as, uh, you know, the, uh, the opioid emergency declaration act much needed $1.8 billion worth of funds in 2018. Um, but the, the numbers are going back up and, uh, it's really sad to see, but this song, Dan and Dave, it really, there's a huge part of it that is my personal experience. And I'm not going to lie about that. Um, you know, I've, I've known so many people uh, in my personal life that I've lost, um, you know, if not in between a dozen and two dozen dozens. I mean, I, I would have to literally make an inventory and you're right in the middle of it too, Pennsylvania. And a lot of the kids I lost are kids I knew from treatment um, who subsequently lost their lives. And a song on the album, I Couldn't Save Him, also touches on that as well as Only One Left. But as far as Dan and Dave goes... It's not a quick and surgical slice. I mean, for some people it is. I know that that takes you from like, you know, um, sobriety to addiction. Uh, For me, it was a long and drawn out downward spiral. I mean, I know some kids up in Baltimore who just at the age of 13 find a loaded heroin rig and just put it in their arm. And that's certainly, you know, that's some people's story. I've heard of that. Uh, But for me, it was long and drawn out. And the thing about Dan and Dave is that there's so many different roles to be played. You know, there's the family that doesn't heed the signs. Uh, there's uh, the permissive social environment. Uh, there's all these enabling factors. But more than anything, the last line is like, you know, addicts escaping their pain. And whether it was me escaping the pain of feeling like I didn't belong socially or, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, da- the Dan character in the, in the song escaping his, uh, his background and his trauma regarding his, uh, you know, his adoption or his, uh, his fall from grace. Uh, there's all these different factors that really lead people down the path of addiction. And I tried to really capture that with the song and the lyrics. And it's funny you say Eminem because he's a real idol of mine. And one of his songs, um, 
really inspired me to write there's actually two songs in terms of the style one is stan yeah by eminem in terms of the dark progression and the other really inspired it is a song called dance with the devil uh by this uh you know bronx based uh hip-hop underground legend immortal technique mm. And um, it's, uh, you know, it, it samples an old show called Love Story, this piano track, and it's very simple boom bap hip hop, but it tells a powerful story with a powerful twist. And I tried to encapsulate that and also get some of the, you know, the gripping emotional intensity of Stan, but that's an incredible compliment. Thank you. I'm glad the story comes across. And I just want to let people know that, you know, there's, there's really, for me at least, and of course there, you know, there are shades of gray, but I think in this path for most people, with the caveat that if they have a physical dependency and not an addiction, because I want to make it clear, there is a big difference between physical chemical dependency and addiction. And that doesn't get highlighted enough. Physical chemical dependency is becoming physically addicted to pills when you prescribe them and that can be fixed with a detox and you can get physically detoxed and get over it. Addiction is a spiritual, emotional, and physical condition that's lifelong, it gets worse, and even if its development is temporarily arrested, it continues and progresses. People with addiction, from my personal experience, I have seen three results. You get clean, you go to jail, or you eventually overdose. And there is a fourth thing, which is... You stay alive long enough to get trapped in the cycle and your tolerance gets high enough that no fent-laced bag is going to take you out. But some would say that's even a worse fate than the other three. And I don't want to chastise anyone for their addiction. And that's why I say I don't do this to continually shame anyone. But it's real out there and people need to understand that separate from any, you know, hyperbolic um, drug education program, the real reality of it is that if you just get started in the cycle of using chemicals to numb your emotional pain, that's why the character in the video, which by the way is directed um, by Joshua Sherman and Leonard Kenyon and um, animated by Leonard Kenyon is the name of the animator, Vermont-based animator, very, very talented man, but yeah. You can just dig yourself deeper, and that's just what I wanted to say. That's why the shovel digging yourself deeper is uh, digging your own grave. That's trying to get it through that. So I, I want to pipe in. Um, yeah. The video and the song are very, very powerful. Um, and I, I want to mention a few things. Um, in my previous job, I actually worked for a mental health crisis line, and um, we actually had a specific crisis line specifically for the opiate epidemic um, and we would actually get people into hospitals and it would all be we'd try to get it all free right um, and get people immediate help as, as soon as we possibly could um, in talking about that epidemic um, it is interesting because it's been going on for a very long time and it's interesting because at first primarily affected the african-american community and no one gave a shit um, until white people started experiencing it and then all of a sudden we're calling it an epidemic and we have federal funds and we're trying to help these we're trying to do what we can it's interesting to kind of see that trajectory um just in regards to the history um but then i also want to just note in hearing your in kind of hearing that video you know you pointed out a lot of um really impactful things um specifically around family um, the stealing of money and, and things like that that kind of happen just in when we're talking about addiction. And then also um, the mention of, you know, specifically around uh, medications. And we've seen a big uptick in that, right? Um, in doctors prescribing painkillers and things of that nature that are, are leading to addiction. Um, and I think you've already alluded to it, but I am curious on what was your introduction um, but I think you just, I think you just shared, but I want to hear a little bit more, um, kind of, it sounds like you started with substances and then it kind of, it kind of got higher and higher. Is that kind of how that happened or, or what was your introduction yeah. into it? I mean, it, 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 it's, um, first of all, I just want to say you're absolutely right. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear it, but there is a lot of disparity in between the way that um, addiction crises have been treated in terms of income and uh, racial differences. And that needs to be noted in both, um, you know, the American gangster Frank Lucas, 1960s and 1970s, Vietnam, uh, you know, yeah. China white heroin epidemic. There was a large uh, there was none of the sympathy that we see today. Um, 
and there was actually none of the sympathy there was none of the sympathy for um for the troops coming back from vietnam either um it was both a race and a class thing and uh that translated also into the uh into the crack epidemic in the 1980s homelessness and and homelessness yes and actually even outside of you know the uh, disease of addiction the aids epidemic in the 80s was not given as much sympathy as you know the coronavirus pandemic is given today and uh, it's interesting to see uh and it's we always have to be aware of those uh you know racial gender orientation biases that can really affect you know like systemic malfunction during plagues but what's interesting is that we're we're kind of seeing uh, an example of how the seeds sown from that lack of attention is manifesting in these crises that have touched, uh, you know, the children of the powerful in the way that have made them take notice. So it's interesting to see that. Um, and the way that I happened, you know, a lot of people say, like, how could you have ever touched uh, these drugs? You came from such a background of privilege. And um, what I would say to that is certainly um, it is heartening to see that, you know, people are paying attention now, but it is sad that it had to come only when, you know, the children of affluent and powerful people were, uh, you know, taken there. But for me, the way it happened was I was born with Asperger's syndrome and diagnosed early on. And the way it manifested was obsessive patterns and self-comforting mechanisms and Asperger's and autism for those who have not experienced it themselves or seen a uh, family member I always feel like I'm under attack from my senses Um, what I see what I hear what I touch I always feel like it's a sensory overload and onslaught I don't like looking people in the eye sometimes I raise my voice too high because I'm unaware of what I'm bringing into the world because of what's coming in is too much so even before chemicals ever got introduced you know Pokemon cards video games um, materialism trying to get people's approval there were so many ways outside of drugs that I got addicted to in an attempt to numb this feeling of overwhelmed anxiety and so when I finally My first drink was like at a dinner party when I was a kid, but I want to say that my real first drink was the drink I took knowing the effect that alcohol gave to me. Not just a sip or beer or wine ceremonially at like a New Year's party that I stole off the table or something to be cool, but when I knew what a beer was going to do to me and I drank it and I got that desired effect, that was like a watershed moment. Yes. It's kind and of an addictive just, personality, the uh, the obsessive about. It didn't matter. It sounds like it didn't really matter what it was. It didn't there, matter what it was. Had, yeah, you kind of had an obsessive personality. But it got finer and finer as I moved along. Like alcohol gave me this kind of like messy kind of detached dissociation and warmth. And then marijuana allowed me to like kind of detach from the mental aspect and kind of get this creative sense of manifested um, purpose. And then, you know, cocaine took me up. Ecstasy took me up. I didn't touch pharmaceuticals until I was 20. I, you know, I took, started taking benzos because they um, potentiated the effects of alcohol. But one line I swore I would never cross was like opiates because I had seen what it had done to some people. I sipped a little codeine promethazine cough syrup because I was a rapper before I played piano at the time and it was just like a cool thing. But that, I sipped that cough syrup. Pur- it, it was like part of drink. my materialism. Purple drank, yes. Uh, you know, shout out to Lil Wayne, UGK, the, the Dirty South Rappers, 3 6 Mafia, you know, rest in peace, uh, Pimp C and DJ screw but right, that uh, shit's killing you know, people man stop doing that it's definitely it's a di- it's a different part of the opioid epidemic rest in peace yams and you know mac miller all those people the fallen casualties of that stuff but you know i i saw that bottle of lean in the same way you know an aging businessman would see a car or a mansion like a bmw or a mansion it was like a way to prop myself up but you know and it was glamorous for a while but you know then i, I sniffed my first oxy pill after i got my wisdom teeth taken out and it just it just went downhill from there i mean it just it, it, w- it wasn't overnight is the thing I want to say. I won't go on too long with it because in our program, we have these people that come and just talk about it all day. It's called drugologuing, like monologuing. So I won't do that. All I'm going to say is it was not an instant process and it was something that was not that did not happen it wasn't like i i took one hit off a joint and i became an addict i was an addict before i ever smoked weed which kind of leads into the next song liquid fentanyl that's one of the first lines it was that personality and that you know that propensity to seek comfort in addictive behaviors as well as your substances 
Yeah, and that's a very good lead-in because that's a that's a song that also just hits really hard. I mean, that's I I watched. Um, you can find if you look up, you know, the Liquid Fentanyl on YouTube. There's like reactions to see the guy like reacting to your video. I'm sure you saw it. You know, it's just like it's like in the, within the first couple bars, he's like, "Dude's got bars," <laughs> and that and it was all one take too. So, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that just in one second. I do want to comment on, um. Highly impressed. What was the guy's name again who did the animation for that video? Leonard Kenyon. And he's actually um, the art director for Old Mill Road Media's magazines, which I also write for now, which are really worth checking out. Some cool, like, Vermonty articles. Anyone interested in Vermont should check out his work there. He's also a great children's book author. Got some really cool stuff there. Great artist, great person. Yeah, we'll definitely put his links um, possibly in the comments if my wife's watching right now. And if not, we'll get it, obviously, when we... we put this out on podcast what is up seth go ahead and i think you're gonna go somewhere else so before you do that your wife did comment on the feed and i want to ask that question really quick she asked a question go for it um i'd love to know ben's piano study history how long has he been playing and who are his influences i just kind of wanted to get that you know handled before we jump into another thing um i started playing classical piano when i was nine um, I studied with a one-on-one solo teacher and, uh, I went to like local area judgings and, uh, you know, I started out not that great, but with the Asperger's and the pattern recognition, my teacher numbered my fingers one, two, three, four, five, instead of just doing the notes and the scales like major, minor, chromatic, all that. And so I was able to like, you know, ascribe each, uh, finger pattern on the piano to a, to a simpler pattern and from there bridge out to the music theory. But in terms of my influences, I love Chopin. I love um, Debussy, I love Satie, I love Ravel. I guess I love, you know, early to late romantic into uh, impressionist. I like classical and Baroque and contemporary too, but I really like just really evocative, simple, transcendental, um, spooky chord progressions. (laughs) And I think that that's pretty well expressed in songs like Dan and Dave and Alive When I Die, kind of those unresolved um, major seventh chords transitioning into, you know, minor chord progressions. It, It really has the feeling of like kind of floating on a dark cloud looking at a moonlit sky i know that sounds you know kind of uh kind of wispy but you know i love i love music that takes you and gives you a whole scene and those composers really do it for no, me no that was the second part when i was asking about your, your um the narrator because uh just that feel and the way you described it as as ghostly or something i think is the way you described it and and, uh it definitely has that it's almost the right season to play that video because moving into halloween having that whole like the reaper playing the piano uh, just kudos to you guys' team shout out one more time to oatmeal recording and 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 i also want to you've mentioned joshua a few times who has been my contact over the last year um that didn't realize that he was a doctor and kind of and how much of it he's influenced and, and helped you in, in your songwriting process. And so, um, that's awesome. And awesome. He's been in tremendous help. Awesome collaborator. Awesome friend. He's a, he's a great guy and he's done an amazing thing with the studio here. It's really worth checking out on the website, old mill It's, it's a beautiful facility. Nam tech award winning, uh, the, uh, national association of, uh, I forget what the two M's are. I'm not going to find like I know, but it's, it's the, it's the national association of music engineers. And he did a really beautiful thing with the studio up here, but, um, it's, uh, it's an amazing place and it's an amazing person to work with. So I couldn't be more grateful. Wow. Respect. All right. So you guys, you guys <laughs> out there ready to listen to some liquid fentanyl? I know I am. I know I am. Yeah, I am. So when I first went to rehab, I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to make music anymore. Cause I made music about doing drugs for so long I didn't know if I'd be able to do it without getting high It took getting clean for me to realize That expression and creativity is the drug I've been searching for all along I'm still a fucking junkie I just get high off of music now Look, I never needed a backing track or instrumental Your shit is dope, but my shit is dope, it's liquid fentanyl Instinctive channeling voices from my conflicted mental Stepping on you snake-ass bitches while I be spitting venom I'm not a rapper, I'm a lyricist Differences, the words really actually matter when y'all be hearing this I was an addict before I ever smoked weed Ended up a dope fiend, sick of all the morphine In addiction, I was vain and arrogant Sticking needles in my vein and numb the pain With heroin out in Maryland Living dastardly, sick catastrophe Now I'm penning masterpieces effortless 
listen passively There's never been a lyricist Before my time or after me You matches me Musically, I was trained classically I could play a scale of major minor Or chromatically on black and white Piano keys cackling sarcastically Rock, raw, Japanese Denim died naturally Age led the patches split Selvage on the cotton scene Ego astronomical Auto-tune, monotone Cheesy rappers kinda flow Like Bars. pizza after dominoes We smoking rappers rambling While they chief and getting mad Above the reefer Calling animosativa Looking at you rappers like Donde esta comida In Spanish meaning Where the fuck your food at I'ma eat ya It be the rhyme elitist Conceded, no conceded No competing, no defeating me I spit like I'm bulimic Continue, mangling you Of any rapper at the venue An animal, a cannibal You rappers on the menu Lost up in the ether While I'm sprinting circles round you And I'm essentially the teacher You in detention while you're clowning Astounding, profounding I deserve a gilded crown I got the illest skills around But I'm so diligently grounded Did I mention? No other lyricist contending They pretentious and demented I'm relentless and cemented I'm ascending, they deflating, they defensive I'm elated, I'm a legend They some babies, they defective I'm amazing, correcting their behavior With some epic ass flavor Anyone stepping to me is essentially flattening the paper Collapsing underweight, these rappers trapped The gravitation of the black hole is created From the mass of what I'm saying My raps are super saying Turning Goku and Vegeta like into Toku <laughs> And me so super from Hopewoods that I heat up in the microwave Y'all sweet as mochi out the freezer The holy MVP like I be Kobe Mixed with Jesus, maybe LeBron and Maybe Jordan, a guy with how I'm scoring I don't fuck with petty talk, all the drama get distorted Leave your ass like Fetty Wap, losing now when I'm recording You're blinded by the light of my phenomenal performance Holy fuck, I'm winning and my flow is just beginning Out of restaurants, I'm eating Dover, sold duck for dinner With dope and lessy women, I don't be trusting in them They be stolen, nice sipping while I'm sober Trying to get in my wordplay, intimidating Nerds stay insinuating, falsehoods incriminating Find that shit invigorating Guess y'all really don't understand the skill involved in this I'm the rap like fucking Chairman Mao, I'm Austin Communist in the rap game, I'm like Burko with Sadama in the murder game Fuck the fake frontin' and dishonest shit I ain't swerving lanes, I'm consistently just dominant Fuck the president, fuck the senators and congressmen Emperor of everything, infinite forever king Married to the lyrics, throw the rights, cop the wedding ring I'm a Taurus idiot, can't record a spit like this Cancel tours of every other artist out cause this the shit Hip hop is founded on raw fucking lyricism Y'all suckers ain't nowhere fucking near the skinny Idiomatic in the galactic time space Ripping a fractured lyrical dimensional fabric He can't actually Really be rapping? Now it's time to finish. I'm the shit and y'all are bitches. My crusade to rhyme, religion, pillage, and I conquer quickly. Lyrical beacon, a shiny light. Blinded prism, should've died of drug addiction. Made it far beyond statistics. Woo! Spitting fire. Spitting fire. That's liquid fentanyl, ladies and gentlemen. Liquid fentanyl. It's out there killing niggas. And here we got Benjamin out here killing niggas with that rap game. I, I mean, that was, that was, there was like, I, I'm glad that we kind of sampled the the three different storytellers because that one right there was just like you were just like like had something to say and coming after him. It's not much of like the storytelling. It was just like 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 <sighs> spitting fire is the only way I know how to say it, dude. You came hard. I like that one. That's the cipher, man. I mean, that's the hip hop. I mean, I I make no secret of the fact that before I integrated piano, hip hop was my life. And, you know, it was the kind of divergence of those two musical traditions because, you know, I feel like many points in my life I had to decide between, um, you know, the hip hop and the classical piano. I kind of gave up my ability to study at conservatory at Union Miami Frost to pursue my rap career, literally dropped out of school to pursue it, dropped a couple tapes. I was able to work with some amazing people, you know, uh, Mac Miller, rest in peace. We did a track before he ever popped off. Raekwon from Wu-Tang, uh, not to name drop, just to just to keep it 100% real. Project Pat from 3-6 Mafia mm -hmm. Click, um, the older brother of Juicy J. We, <laughs> nice. we connected on some stuff and, um, you know, it was cool just being in that industry and seeing all that progress. And so, you know, when I got clean, I had to figure out how I was going to integrate that side of myself because this click I used to like make music with called Cypher League, um, shout out Cypher League um, out in Brooklyn has since disbanded. And, you know, they're working on an application now for the phone that's currently in beta testing, kind of like bringing people together, which is great for the COVID era through um, through like a kind of ciphering application, go back and forth with like rap ciphers over beats that you stream on the app. It's really cool. Just wanted to shout that out right quick. But that song comes from that tradition of old school boom bap hip hop because for me it gets no better than big l biggie nas az uh you know lore finesse uh krs1 those ny boom bap rakim 
Godfather, you know, all those I like people, your influences, just those man. greats. Yeah. And it's and I love Dirty South hip hop. You know, only one left has that kind of like you know, Young Thug, uh, Gunna, Roddy Rich kind of triplet flow. Roddy Rich is from L.A., but you know, same same school, same thing triple it flows cadence but i personally love old school rap and so i i love that you're connecting with the bars on it uh cool thing with that one is um funk master flex uh recently named me uh the uh number one pick for his unsigned what? cypher uh, thing he's gonna be doing it was cool because i just i funk grew master. up listening yeah. to funk flex freestyles <laughs> And like I, I love that, and so I. But I didn't think it was gonna connect with people in that way. I didn't think that it was gonna bridge that kind of gap. And so just to have people who come from that school, that that you know knowledge base of hip hop, to connect with it, it really makes the message in the beginning of the song that you know like I'm still a junkie. I just get high off of music now. A second level of that is I'm still a rapper. I just rap about sobriety now. You know what I mean? I just rap about my life in recovery now. So. It's a way to carry the cipher forward in a new tradition and a Going new way. Going Super Saiyan on us. <laughs> yeah, I had to have that Dragon Ball Z reference in there. When I also loved the I hate the president reference. That <laughs> made me really happy. I was like, oh, I think, I'm in now. I think, I wasn't I think it before, was fuck I'm the in president. But, uh, yeah, I think it was too. And I then um, I also like the, um, you know, we're in the finals right now and everything too with your basketball references like uh, uh, Kobe Jesus uh Coming. Yeah, Kobe, the holy MVP, <laughs> like I'd be Kobe mixed with Jesus. Yeah, um, that was fun. Just free associative, yeah. you know. Um, I I love putting that the Fetty Wap yeah, line, yep. you know, a, a bunch of them. Like, uh, yeah, I, I that was I, I just had fun with that one. I cut loose on that one. It was it was really organic. It was fun, and I just you know, uh, I have people who say you know there's a little ego in there, but I think the I think the cool thing about hip hop is that you can like kind of subvert and channel that those kind of egotistical tendencies into art. And, you know, hip-hop comes out of a tradition of taking the violence out of the communities through dance contests and MC battles and stuff like that. And so, you know, maybe it is a little bit of, like, an edge to it, but I like to think that music is a way, you know, in terms of my addiction, putting into my music, I've been able to channel some, channel some of my darker impulses into making a positive difference. And that's what hip-hop comes out of. So that's why it's so powerful for me as an art form. Definitely, definitely. And uh, really loved having you on. We're going to wrap here soon. I had pulled another clip of a little like minute long uh, uh, thing you wrote for COVID that we could close with. Um, but as this conversation is going and this is completely last minute and thrown on you, you can completely deny it. Um, it'll take me a second to find something. But uh, you mentioned freestyle. Um, do, do, is, that, yeah. is that a passion of yours? Do you want? Do you want to? If I is there a track that you want me to find on YouTube or something like that that you want to throw something down on? Is, I mean, if you want to throw, I don't know if the lag is going to be okay is the only thing. I mean, right. I'm happy to do it. Um, let me, I mean, let me, let me, let me do a little, let me do a little something for you. I can, I, I can do a little, but I'm going to need you to do one what thing for me. I'm going to need you to give me, I'm going to need you each to give me a topic. Okay. You can do that. Like something to put in there so you know it's for real and you know it's coming gradually. All right. I, my topic, um, I think this is going to be fair. Like, I mean, there's a lot going on right now. Um, I want to let's do um, Donald Trump. Is that okay? Or is that is, okay. that is that okay for you to do? I mean, that's that that's a that's a hot topic. I might I might keep it apolitical because you know addiction is something that I want to proliferate the message. No. I got my own I got my own beliefs on that. But I'm but I can I can I can I can keep I can keep I can throw some politics stuff in there. Not even from my own personal perspective, which um you know might be clear from my songs, but uh. <laughs> Uh, I'll do. I can do that. Give me something else. Give me some. Give me something the, else to throw the other in there. One, uh, well, Seth. I mean, the other one. Since I might have stole Seth's uh, faith. I was gonna th faith. I like that. Faith and like faith that. in politics. Yeah, faith like in politics. Spit, spit us something faith about faith politics. in politics. Yeah. Welcome to Fade to Gray. Okay. <laughs> they want to talk about faith in politics. Consumerism not enabling the abolish it. I philosophize like I'm Ptolemy. I'm six five, but I'm looking for a Ptolemy. I'm talking about the spirituality, not the banality. Principalities, it's a fallacy. It's bigger than countries, it's bigger than rhymes, it's bigger than visions, it's even fucking bigger than time. This is a timeless struggle between good and evil. It's been occurring in the Bible since the medieval. It's like a steeple inside of it, talking about the congregation, emancipation, but also the consternation. Twisted up in different vowels and sounds. We on this faint to gray, streaming live now, so I'ma keep it real old school with the principles. Everyone is a different individual. I give it 
it with that real old school type of flavor, iced tea. You might see me lemonade ya, making lemons into lemonade. Every single day, talking about recovery, getting paid. What? Yeah, straight fire. Thank you. One day at a time, one rhyme at Dude, a time. Benjamin, I love you. Um, I hope big things for you. Um, you deserve it. Um, keep it up with the sobriety. Keep up with your message. Um, you're one talented mother effa. And um, really, really oh, thank just you, uh, man. much love to y'all too. Thanks for having me. Interested to see on. where you go. Uh, get out, vote, vote Benjamin Lerner. Check out uh, old old mill recordings. Just uh, support the these guys. It's worth it. Um, and we'll, we'll go ahead and just wrap it up with that one last little. You can find this on uh, YouTube as well. I ripped it off just to play a little. It's like a minute long, and then we'll wrap. <laughs> then we'll wrap. Get it. <laughs> Hey, if there's anything I've learned in recovery, it's that we're better off facing our troubles together than we are alone. Courage comes from overcoming fear that burns inside us. The challenges we go through are the things that will unite us. At crucial points in history, our fate has been decided when we rise up to a challenge. We face it and we fight it. The same way I've seen addicts help each other through addiction I've seen people come together with resolve and with conviction Decisively committed with inspiring volition In our battle with this virulent and frightening condition So if we're truly careful, considerate and cautious And we're purposeful, persistent, patient, reasonable and honest We can solve this deadly virus and the drug addiction crisis Cause the power of compassionate intent is truly priceless It's truly priceless, priceless. Much love much love to y'all too. All the Appreciate love. Appreciate it, man. You you have a great day. And out there in Facebook world, thanks for joining us. Um, check out ben, Benjamin Lerner if you want to find out more about what he's up to. Follow us, Fade to Gray. Just love you. Appreciate you. Peace. Much love to y'all too. Peace, Seth. Peace, Omar. Y'all y'all be good. Stay blessed. That was good, dude. That last song. That last song was good. Like that. I'm sorry. I actually got a little emotional. That was excellent. That was yeah, yeah. That was good. Yep, we're off air. <laughs>